It's spooky season, in case you didn't already know. And I'm going to be talking about what some have called one of the scariest verses in the Bible. This is a Mouthful and Mindful podcast. Let's hit it. So if you've ever done the read the Bible in the year plan, you've read the Bible cover to cover and you've probably read a lot of crazy stuff. Um, And perhaps you may be able to tell me, in fact, I would like to hear what you think one of the scariest or most unsettling verses or books in the Bible is. For me, one of the most unsettling books in the Bible is Judges. It's just probably the most wild a collection of stories and history that you can find almost anywhere, but especially in the Bible. Recently, I've been hearing a lot about this particular passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, that has been called one of the scariest passages, the scariest portions of scripture. I'm going to go ahead and read it to you. It's found in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Check this out. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. The next verse says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, remember Jesus speaking, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who breaks God's law. Chills, right? Now, I've heard a lot of people get nervous over, you know, the end of the world or, you know, uh, the rapture. And these are, you know, pretty uh, spine tingling things to talk about topics. However, these are just stepping stones up into the final judgment, which is what we see Jesus addressing here in Matthew chapter seven. And in today's episode, I want to highlight three reasons why this passage is one of the scariest you can find in the good book. One of the reasons why this is one of the scariest verses, at least to me, is because it shows me that some Christians will actually go to hell. Christians, yes, some Christians, those who proclaim themselves to be Christians are actually going to go to hell. I have a statistic statistic, excuse me, for you. I don't know if you knew this. I, I looked this up a little bit earlier. But did you know that about 63 to 65% of Americans consider themselves Christian? I want you to think about this. If the rapture right happened right now, if Jesus called up his church right now, it's highly unlikely that all 63 to 65% of American Christians will actually be entering the kingdom of heaven. Think about it. When the rapture takes place, if some Christians or people who call themselves Christians are going to get left behind, then that would mean that some Christians are going to show up to, to church on Sunday, the Sunday after, or maybe during the rapture, the rapture's occurrence, they're going to show up and just find an empty shell of a congregation. They might pray and worship and cry out, Lord, Lord, but still miss Jesus, just like they missed him before the end. Now, I've asked myself this question, and maybe you might be asking yourself this question, but what about like struggling Christians, right? Like the Christians who maybe they just they were kind of found in that in like a bad rebellious streak or a bad era, but like they've had years of being faithful. You know, what about those guys? Will God really judge them, really send them to hell for one bad season? Well, I'm going to answer this question and a few more in the Q&A section at the end or towards the end of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. All right. The next reason, reason number two, why this verse is freaky deaky is that it shows me that there are no do-overs after the final judgment. Jesus is known as the mediator, right? He's he's the mediator between heaven and earth, if you will. He was the one who was brutally sacrificed for our sins. He was crucified 
so we could be saved from the doom of hell. Jesus is the one who did that. And if Jesus, the mediator, the heavenly lawyer, if you will, the one who wants to work all things out for your good, if he's the one that condemns you, think about that, then there's no coming back from that. If you think about it this way, our lives are kind of like a sudden death match. Like once it's over, it's over. Like period, no comma. There's no, you know, sequel. There's not going to be a reboot some year, a bad, terrible reboot, right? Some years down the line, there is no kind of middle, like between heaven and hell where you could spend for eternity if you're kind of okay. There's none of that. There's no reincarnation. There's no option to stay as a ghost and hunt people on the Queen Mary during October. You know, like, uh, even though I would like to go to that Queen Mary experience, I like getting scared. I don't know. But that's beside the point. There's no staying here. There's only two places to go. And you want to know how I know this? It's not because I said so. It's in Hebrews 9, 27. And the NLT says this. People are destined to die. I'm sorry, CEB. People are destined to die just once and then face judgment. Somebody might say, well, okay, Luke, what about Lazarus? What about Jesus, right? Uh, they they resurrected, <laughs> you know, or, or what about um, Enoch or Elijah who... We can't confirm whether or not they died. And I think that these are really good questions. But I am going to talk about these questions in the Q&A. So you can jump to that if you want to. All right, let's get to the last point, the last reason. I think one of the biggest, scariest reasons why this passage can be so bone-chilling, spine-tingling to me is because being sent away from the presence of God is a much darker fate than I think most people actually realize. I feel like... Most people who aren't afraid to go to hell, right? Oh, no hell, <laughs> barbecue, right? Most people who say that don't really understand what exactly hell is. Firstly, Satan was a place to imprison Satan and his angels, if you will. So I'd imagine that the bathrooms are not that great, right? Also, your neighbors would literally be like the most purest forms of evil, like the forms of evil that influence some of the most evil people we know on earth i mean some people get mad at their neighbors for making too much noise imagine your neighbor being like the demon who like influenced like hitler like imagine your neighbor being like the hitler demon like just suffice it to say it's not a good place now not only that but the bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of heavenly lights so not only does a person go to hell in the sense of like it's a bad place but also they're forfeiting you know, resting in the presence of Jesus, where all good and perfect things can abound. In other words, I, and I would say it's safe to assume that in hell, goodness and perfection are not readily available. And this is because hell is away from Jesus, right? Jesus said, um, he said, uh, away from me, you who break God's laws, away from the presence of God. So away from the presence of God. Now, a place that is absent of goodness and perfection is kind of hard to imagine. And you might say, like, really? We have it pretty bad down here on earth. Not not really. We have are, are surrounded by goodness and perfection. Um, I mean, for goodness sake, Korean barbecue, goodness and perfection right there. No, but really what I'm saying is that anything that's good and perfect um, it, it's a blessing from God. So if I forfeit the blessing of God, if I forfeit the presence of God, then literally you're left with badness and perversion. It's probably one of the worst and most terrible places to ever exist is hell. Hell, just bottom line, it's not a barbecue. It's not a fun hangout. It's not like a yeah, bad boys only club. It's like the worst of the worst. And those are the three biggest reasons why I believe that this passage of scripture is so scary 
is because of these three things that I said. Now, I told you how to get into the Q&A, and I want to talk about these questions that kind of came up uh, that I had, and I hope that this helps you. So let's get into those nitty-gritty questions. The question number one, what about struggling Christians who were faithful in different seasons? Like if God comes, like if the rapture happens during their off, their rebellious season, right? Will God really judge them for the one bad season? Number one, I want, I want, to, I want to respond to this by saying this flat out and clear. We, even in our best times, even in our best seasons, we still sin. We still make mistakes. So like, you know, saying that, you know, a Christian was good for many seasons of life, even in those good seasons of us being as, as, as pure as possible, as holy as possible, we are still relying on the righteousness and goodness of God, right? In order to exist in the, in this world and to um, receive the righteousness that only Christ's blood can really put on us. So to say like, oh, we've earned through seasons of life uh, a place at the table and one bad season really, to be honest, all seasons of life, whether we do our best or do our worst, we are equally as in need of the forgiveness of God. So that's the first thing is that, we might have good seasons, meaning seasons of faithfulness and doing our best to repent, right? But even in those seasons, we still require repentance and we still require mercy and grace from God because even our best days are like filthy rags. Now, the next kind of other side of this coin is that I guess maybe the question can be reworked to be said, um, can we lose our salvation? And the answer, the short answer is yes, Christians can lose their salvation. Now, I know there's a lot of controversy maybe theologically with different types of Christians around this, um, but totally you can lose your salvation. But let me explain to you what I mean. I want to point out Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 28 to kind of back up my case, if you will. And it says this, if we make the decision to sin after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there isn't a sacrifice for sin for sins left any longer. There's only a scary expectation of judgment and of a burning fire that's going to devour God's opponents. Then verse 29 says, How much worse punishment do you think is deserved by the person who walks all over God's Son, who acts as if the blood of the covenant that made us holy is just ordinary blood, and who insults the spirit of grace? We know the one who said, Judgment is mine, I will pay people back. And he also said, The Lord will judge his people. It's scary to fall into the hands of the living God. I think there's a lot of scriptures that point to the fact that people can lose their salvation, but this one is pretty, pretty clear that those who pretty much have received the truth and then deny it, it's counted as them treating the blood of Jesus like, like ordinary blood, like it doesn't matter. And um, there's punishment for those who place themselves on the opposite team of God, right? So I do think that we, we shouldn't look at this question as like, oh, well, we, we've had so many seasons of goodness. Will God judge us for the one season that we mess up? Remember, there's mercy and there's grace. So even in our best seasons, we mess up. God's mercy and grace covers that. I'm talking about the people who leave God, who leave Jesus and say God comes back during the like the rapture happens while they're out of the church. Then, yes, they will. They will not inherit right the, 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 the kingdom of heaven because they chose to treat the blood of Jesus like any ordinary blood. Therefore, it has no power for them because they rejected the promise. They rejected the power of the blood. Okay, so the second question is kind of an interesting one. Um, you know, we we're talking about in the context to it's appointed for men to die once and then judgment. But then, you know, we have people like Lazarus and Jesus who resurrected from the dead, right? And other people, obviously, in, in Jesus resurrected from them, them from the dead as well. We also have people like Enoch and Elijah, who we don't know 
if they died. The Bible doesn't confirm that they died. Enoch got taken up with the Lord one day and nobody knew what happened to him. Elijah got taken up in a chariot of fire. I mean, does that mean death? I I don't know. I don't think so. But it doesn't confirm and say like, oh, and he died. He passed on that way. Like, you know, what about these people? Um, I think it has a pretty simple, simple response. Pretty much that death referring to passing from life into the afterlife, pretty much into judgment. That only happens once. You can't go to judgment, come back out again, try life again, then go back to judgment. That's not how it works. Once you hit, pretty much, I think this is a good benchmark. Once you hit judgment day, right? if your spirit right is, is released from your body um, and you're not asleep, like Jesus would say, right? Where you uh, were, were destined to be called back, you know, into the life here on earth. If that doesn't happen, right? You enter judgment day. That is the you, that only happens once. You can't keep on going back and forth. There's no bridge between the great divide between life and death, if you will. So let's talk now about people like Enoch and people like uh, like Elijah, who we can't confirm that they died. Right? They got taken up. They got taken away. And to me, I see this like a pre-rapture, if you will, because there's gonna be one day where, where even the scripture says that we won't. Paul says we won't all die, but we will all be will be taken up. Uh, you know, in the blinking of an eye. And so pretty much what that means is that um, without like, I guess, being mortally wounded or without our bodies given out, we will pass from from life here on earth to judgment day without the traditional death. But it is still a type of death, which means that our bodies are, I mean, our spirits, excuse me, are no longer going to exist with our bodies here on earth. In fact, the Bible says, uh, talks about the transformation of the body, which means our bodies will die in a sense because they need to be transformed into a more glorious body. All that to say, um, you know, if you're looking for, you know, maybe Elijah and Enoch as a as an excuse for reincarnation, don't get your hopes up. So, like I said, you know, we're in spooky season. It's October. But the reality of hell is so much more serious and dark than a couple of jack-o'-lanterns. But there is great, the best news, the gospel, the good news. Jesus wants to save you. He's actively making room for you to come into his presence, to come into his family, to save you from this this unfortunate doom of how that people are choosing. While you are alive, you still have hope. You can still repent and you can still turn to Jesus. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is still hope. So no sin, no shame, none of that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Death and hell have literally no power against those who belong to Jesus truly. Folks, this is a mouthful and mindful podcast. I hope you have an amazing October season. Love you guys. And yeah, maybe leave a comment uh, on Instagram or tell me what your thoughts are on Spotify, wherever you're listening. Appreciate you guys. Have a great, great day.